and welcome to another episode of the Baylor Law Criminal Law Society podcast. I'm your host, Chris Spendlove, and I am surrounded by a lot of really well-dressed, powerful gentlemen. I'm in my t-shirt and hat. I'm surrounded by a lot of uh, clean-cut looking, really good-looking guys. So first we've got Steve Lowry. How are you, Steve? Good. I think you need to leave me off the clean-cut. I, I, I need to clean, clean the shave a little bit. Well, we do have some scruff, but you guys all look you guys look great. Uh, we've got our president, Conniger Jones. How are you? Good, Chris. I'm on cloud nine. Yeah, yeah, I am too. Uh, we are joined by special guest host, friend of the podcast, Ryan Calvert. How are you, Ryan? I'm, I'm great, Chris. I'm, I'm glad you uh, grabbed me in the hallway and asked me to, to jump in on this. Yeah, I feel like I really had to twist your arm yeah, to get you, you to, to, come, to come do this. Well, I think one of the reasons why Ryan was motivated, if I can put that word in your mouth, as well as our, our other hosts, uh, is because our guest today is a legendary Texas criminal trial attorney, uh, Mr. Jeff Kearney. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's been a, a great day and a half. Uh, exciting to see great young lawyers coming up and uh, you know, I've seen these, these lawyers operate here for the last day and a half, and, and they're a lot better than a lot of lawyers practicing five years in Fort Worth. So it's, wow. it's incredible to see uh, the, the, uh, the degree of competence in these, these young law students. Yeah. So Ryan is here, and Jeff is here, and Conagher and Steve are here in the building on a Saturday for the Baylor Law Criminal Law Boot Camp. Right. Um, and it's something, what's, what's this? The 12th, 13th, 13th. lucky 13th, lucky 13th. <laughs> the yeah. time we did it. Wow. When I did it a year ago, I think it was the ninth or 10th. So it's just, it's gathered, it's gathered ahead of steam. It used to only be offered a couple times a year and now they offer it all four quarters out of the year. So we're really lucky to have folks like yourself, uh, come out and, and help participate. Um, I'm really excited that Baylor is getting so much more involved in the educating uh, lawyers who want to be criminal lawyers. Yeah. That's, uh, that's exciting for me. Yeah. I mean, it's really come a long way, even since, you know, when I was a, a 1L or 3Q or whatever we say. Yeah. There's been a lot. Like I was saying, I mean, even back then, the criminal law boot camp wasn't offered around the clock. And now you may or may not know, but Ryan does a separate Vordire boot camp. I heard about in that. The, That's in the exciting. Summer, which was, again, listeners, take PC in the spring and summer for no other reason than to than to do that boot camp. But yeah, it's it's. And really I'm going to jump in here and say, yeah. because you won't say, uh, one of the inaugural Vordire boot camp uh, students was this guy named Chris Spindler. <laughs> and he very recently won uh, Best Fort Iyer at a national competition, uh, which which made my heart sing. And so I was I just want to let everybody know about that. Congratulations. And that's silverware. That yeah, silverware that in the in the photos, I encourage our listeners to uh, go ahead and jump on the Baylor Law Advocacy Facebook or Instagram account. They've got his beautiful smiling face. <laughs> a plate that looks like it could house a couple meals on it. It's a nice, <laughs> nice silverware, man. Well, thank you. The proof is in the pudding. I'll, I'll put it to that way. I think uh, I think my teammates got tired of me saying, "Yeah, well, the way Ryan teaches Port Iron, <laughs> yeah, or the way we talk about this that, and the other thing." But you know, that's that's why we that's why we do this, right? Is to be trial 
ready to be advocates and uh we're, we're just blessed honestly i'm sure you guys you know feel the same way just to have this this talent that we get to learn from you know so. we feel blessed participating in it it really does it uh you know helping you guys helps us so uh, we're excited about it That's you really know cool. I, lawyers still say that uh, even experienced lawyers 20 30 year lawyers that still to them board hour is the most difficult part of a trial hmm. and uh I think it's the most important part of the trial, though. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, we spend a lot of time talking about that, you know, the boot camp. Uh, and Vordire used to be part of this general criminal law boot camp uh, until you know, we, we broke it out. Cause, and I think that's part of that reason, right? Because it's it, so important. It is. And, and we found, and I felt that the, the amount of time that we were able to spend on jury selection uh, at the broader criminal law boot camp just wasn't enough to really do a deep enough dive and, and uh, get the students the exposure we wanted them uh, to have coming out of it. And so we decided to, to try doing a separate boot camp. And I, I think it I think it went well. And you guys have uh, that did it the first time have already given us some good, really good uh, feedback on how we can tweak some things and make some adjustments and improvements uh, in the next one, which will be next May. Very cool. Yeah. And Vardire is so nuanced that uh you know it's it's hard to do in a short period of time yes. because it's complex and it's it's hard to understand if you've never done it before yeah and I, I you know being such a nuanced complex topic you know me asking you how can i get better at Fort dire that's that's a loaded big question yeah. but for new attorneys what are some of the most in your mind the most important strategies or you know uh, ways of approaching Fort dire that that can really help them do it right. You need to go uh, to as many programs, seminars, hear as many people speak that that have some expertise in it as you can. Uh, there's a uh, jury selection expert, jury consultant named Robert Hirshhorn, who is, uh, I think, it's the premier jury consultant in the country. Hmm. Uh, he was a lawyer working for Jerry Goldstein in San Antonio when he met a gal named Kat Bennett. And the name of theirs is Kathy Bennett and Associates, the name of his company. And so hmm. he and Kat married and he started learning everything he could from her because she was one of the pioneers in jury consultation and, and teaching lawyers how to do for dire. And uh, that's when I became interested in it. It was when I was a young lawyer, I would go wherever Cat Bennett was speaking. Okay. And I mean, I traveled all over the United States to hear her and learn from her. And then I started using her when I got started getting cases where I could afford to use her. Mm -hmm. And she was extremely helpful. And that's how I met Robert because they married while uh, I was seeking everything I could you know, get from Cat Bennett. Okay. Because she was the master. Yeah. So it's that, it's that old adage, you don't need to know everything. You just need to know how to surround yourself with the people who know everything. Exactly. And, uh, you know, when I first started practicing law, that uh, lawyers would stand up and lecture the jury panel mm -hmm. and tell them what, you know, everything they could tell them about the law and not learn one thing about the prospective jurors and sit down. And it was, it was, and Kat came along and said, you're doing this all wrong. You need to ask open-ended questions in order to get information. Yeah. And nobody was doing it. And uh, hmm. 
after I traveled around and learned everything I could, I went back to Fort Worth and started doing that. And everybody's going, what are you doing? <laughs> Where did that come from? They don't know anything about the law. Why are you asking them? <laughs> yeah, I know. And so it was, it was uh, really a, a wonderful experience. And, and then so you started winning. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then, yeah. exactly. And then yeah. you start winning. Yeah. Yeah. And then everybody wants to know, you know, how do I learn how to do that? You know? so <laughs> That's cool. It was, I mean, we, we were up against some, some fantastic teams, you know, at this, at this Ford Hour competition in San Antonio. And, but I mean, a couple of them, it was that kind of just general, I'm going to lecture you about the law. Here's what we mean when we say burden of proof, you know, and it was a civil case. It wasn't a criminal case. So it wasn't exactly, you know, one for one, but, uh, when we got up there and we were asking people stuff about how they make decisions, right? If, you know, here's a scenario, what do you do? Not, not necessarily what's your answer to that scenario, but how do you arrive at your decision? And we sat down and one of the guys from the other teams was like, who's the psych major on your team that told you to ask those like really probing questions? We just we want to know what they think. We we want to know about them. I tell you, I I saw Robert Hirschhorn speak at a at a conference here recently, and and you know always all of us I think no matter how long you've you've been in this game, never stop learning mm-hmm. and never stop looking for for new things that, to try and, and to develop. And uh, I saw Hirschhorn speak, and and he was talking about some potential questions you you could ask a panel and one of them that just really resonated with me was do you consider yourself a big picture person or do you consider yourself a detail person Mm -hmm. and i thought that is fantastic and i'm going to i'm going to incorporate that you know as as a prosecutor i think generally speaking I want the big picture people. And I think yeah. as a defense lawyer, generally speaking, you want the people who are going to get down in the details and, and really kind of microanalyze things. And, and then his other question that he, he always uses, do you, do you look at things as black and white mm-hmm. or black and white and shades of gray? Yeah. Okay. You know, yeah. we like shades of gray. That's really cool. Yeah, we like shades of gray. Yeah. Ours was, you know, are you more of a logical person or are you more of an emotional person do you make your decisions you know based on oh i'm you know we had like a burning building scenario right your your family's standing outside the house is burning you realize one of your kids is missing what do you do and most people said i'm running back in some people were like well you know if i'm dead that doesn't do my other family members any good and then we changed it up we said okay it's not your house anymore it's your neighbor's house does that change? And then we changed it one more time. We said, you're driving down the street, you see a burning building, right? Because we really, for the case we were doing, we needed to know who was going to agree with the decision that this this person had made that was very emotional versus, you know, who were the more logical thinkers. So right. that's cool. I actually want, Jeff, I want to ask you a question because you and I have been doing this for a long time, but we're here with these three guys that I've seen these guys uh, sort of in action here and these, these three gentlemen are the real deal. Um, and so I, I would like to ask you to tell them and also their audience, having done this as long as you have at the level at which you've done it, what is the top one or two pieces of advice that you would give brand new trial lawyers that are entering this profession that you have excelled at for so many years? Well, I, I think the first thing is, uh, you're going to you're going to really enjoy doing it if you love it and uh, you know there's so many people that do things for an entire career 
that hate their job yeah. and hate what they're doing. Yeah. And if you really love it, you will absolutely want to get up and do it every day. And uh, I think that's one of the most important things is if you do feel that way, you're going to be great at it because people do things well that they really like to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one thing that uh, I think is most important to me is that I love to do it so much and still love doing it every day. And I'm busier than I've ever been. Yeah. So, you know, that's uh, so the, the second thing is, is you've got to decide if you're going to be a prosecutor, you know, or, or a defense lawyer. And a lot of times in Texas, we have defense lawyers that started as prosecutors mm-hmm. and uh, then left and went in and started a defense practice. And so that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And a lot of lawyers in Texas that are very, very good defense lawyers started as prosecutors. I think it's a wonderful way to start. And if you, because you get immediate experience. I mean, the first day I went to the DA's office, they handed me a file and they had a jury there at one o'clock. A true story. Wow. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a true story. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so you learn, you learn to think on your feet. And so being a prosecutor is, is a wonderful way to start and get experience. You get a lot of trials quickly. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also you get to know everybody in the courthouse and you build relationships and, and friendships and it'll serve you well throughout your entire career because most of those courthouse people are career people and they stay there. And that's and in your home county, in your home courthouse, it's very important that you have that type of relationship. So I would say do that first, you know, mm-hmm. if you can. And then, uh, and the second thing is, is that after you get comfortable with state work, break out and do some federal work. You know, that's, that is really rewarding. Uh, the fees are a lot bigger and uh, the cases are a lot more important important in the big scheme of things. They're not more important to the individual client because mm-hmm. every state court client is it's life or death to them. So it's extremely right. important. But uh, some of these cases that get uh, more publicity, your name gets associated with it, you know, it'll bring you business. And that's, you know, we can't keep doing this unless we have business. So that's a very important part of, of a practice of a credible lawyer. That's well. Thank you. Yeah. yeah to thank you. Get those nuggets of wisdom. That's yeah. that's really valuable. Um, I I want to then pull back. One of the, typically one of the first questions we ask our guests is about their story. We we had a great discussion about Vordire. I didn't want to you know curtail that, but yeah. uh, will you just tell us your story, wherever point A is to you know where you're at now in your career? Um, I grew up in Waco. And uh, so I went to TCU. And uh, when I was about to graduate with a business degree, I thought, what in the world am I going to do? Sure. You know, I mean, yeah. I, could go, I guess I could go sell, sell copy machines at Xerox. Or, you know, <laughs> so, I don't know, what am I going to do with this degree? And I thought, well, I'm going to try to go to law school. And if I go to law school, then a, a law degree can help you do whatever you do. You don't have to be a lawyer, but a lawyer law degree is valuable if you're a businessman or you're in the commercial real estate business or mm-hmm. whatever you in, you're in, the law degree is, it could be very helpful. So I started law school not having any idea what I wanted to do, but uh, the longer I stayed here and learned about what Baylor does, teaches trial lawyers, mm-hmm. you know, 
uh, teaches lawyers how to be trial lawyers in Texas, and uh, all of a sudden wanted to be a trial lawyer, and then got in practice court with with uh, Matt Dawson. Oh wow! And I was, <laughs> Mad Dog. I yeah. was in, wow. in his first class. Wow. His first day, yeah. Mad Dog rookie and, year. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's rare. So, uh, that's something. Man. That's really cool. <laughs> and, and so, uh, I mean, and it, it, I, I really got the bug. I, I really sure. did. Yeah. I, I got the bug to do that. I, I, I can tell you a quick Mad Dog story. Yeah. Uh, we had, we were in practice court one day, and somebody walks in, one of the, and I forgot who it was, but walks in late. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, <laughs> Seen uh, that. Yep. and he, said, I'm, he said, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, he said, I'm sorry, Professor Dawson, but I accidentally overslept. And he said, you don't accidentally oversleep. And we had a one-hour discussion on what accidentally means and what it doesn't mean. <laughs> you know, and he was an expert on what an accident was. <laughs> That's and what, right. You know, you know, I mean, He's breaking down the elements of <laughs> negligence. <laughs> I mean, exactly. And so we had, and I felt so sorry because that student started slumping down farther and farther. And, and he wouldn't give up. And we all learned what accidentally really means. <laughs> and, uh, it was a great lesson, That's you know. Great. I've never forgotten it. Yeah. Know? So, uh, no, but it was a great experience. It really was. Very cool. Yeah, we, we've yeah. got this statue of him here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it a good likeness? Yeah, it is. Okay. It is. He, he was tall and lanky. Okay. You know, and uh, boy, he was a war horse in the courtroom. <laughs> he just yeah. tried cases constantly, and and uh, the, the number one guy in our class, Glenn Sod, went to work for him. And it was Dawson oh, wow. and Sod. It ended up being. He made a lot of money and an expert in uh, eminent domain, representing the landowners in eminent domain cases all over. Wow. And, of course, Dawson and Sod is the, uh, I, I feel like it's almost a commercial break cutaway, but the sponsor <laughs> for the moot court competition that uh, that we hold every fall, I think that it's Dawson oh. and Sod that sponsors the fall competition and then uh, Springer, maybe, and somebody that sponsors the uh, spring competition. But, but yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Okay. Wow. And, that little firm in Corsicana, Texas, is not a little firm. Right. <laughs> That's great. Known all over. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, uh, did you go right from practice court, finishing up law school, into the DA's office? No, I did. Uh, it, it, unusual situation. I, uh, one of the judges in Fort Worth, criminal district judge, mm-hmm. and in Fort Worth they have judges that do nothing but criminal work. And a criminal district judge named Byron Matthews was a Baylor graduate. And uh, he uh, had just gotten a federal grant to put in a court coordinator system that nobody had ever had. And he was really, you know, innovative. And so we, he, in the federal grant, the criminal district judges were allowed to hire law clerks, briefing clerks. Okay. And it's very unusual in a state criminal district judge yeah. to have that. But the grant paid for it. And so uh, he hired me. Out right out of law school to be his law clerk, the very first one under this federal grant. So I sat there in his court, and he was a fabulous criminal defense lawyer before. Mm-hmm. He's in the Criminal Defense Lawyers Hall of Fame. Okay. And uh, very, very uh, well known and uh, as a criminal defense lawyer. And anyway, so uh, he uh, hired me, and I sat there and learned from him, learned a lot from him. But I watch great lawyers try cases every week, Mm -hmm. great prosecutors, great defense lawyers. And back then, the DA's office was really high quality in in Tarrant County. Mm -hmm. 
And so I get to I got to watch that. And one day he walked in and said, uh, "Next Monday you're starting at the DA's office." Whoa. <laughs> and okay. I said, I said, "Okay." He said, "Well, your time here is done, and, and you need to go over there and start trying some cases." And I said, "Well, you know, I was on a federal grant. And I was making." like two times, twice as much as a starting DA. Oh, man. And I'm going, I said, I, you know, I don't know that I can take a pay cut like that. I said, oh, but I want to do it. He said, don't worry about it. I've already worked it out with the auditor. You just can't tell anybody. You're no. making the same thing you made working for wow. with the county, but don't tell a soul. The secret's out on yeah. the podcast now. Hopefully that's all right. Well, I think the statute's run. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think the statute's run. That's fantastic. So how long were you then with the Tarrant County DA's office? You know, I only stayed a year. Okay. And because I'd watched those trials for a year and knew everybody at the courthouse anyway. Mm -hmm. But I, I stayed a year and uh, had an opportunity. Another Baylor lawyer named Tom Zachary. His dad was a lawyer in Waco. Uh, he was uh, had been an assistant district attorney up there, and he had, had, a, had a criminal practice. His partner had moved back to uh, Graham, Texas, where he was from, and he walked in one day and he was from Waco. I was from Waco. Mm -hmm. You know, he walked in one day, and plus he was one of Byron Matthews' proteges also. Sure. So he walks in one day, and he said, I've got an empty office, and the office furniture is still there, and uh, you need to leave here and come over with me, and I did it the next week. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you, I knew I didn't want to stay long. I, sure. I, was, I was very ambitious as a young lawyer, and so I, I went over with him, and that's where it started. Okay. And you've been doing criminal defense ever since, since. Ever since then. Yeah, for right. my whole career. And I don't do anything else but criminal defense. That's really cool. Um, I want to talk in just a minute, because part of the reason we ask our guests about their stories is to give our listeners something to aspire to. And I don't think there's much else you can aspire to higher than being in the criminal defense hall of fame. <laughs> yeah. So I definitely want to get to that in just a minute. <laughs> Uh, one thing that, and, you know, especially Beth Tobin says a lot about, you know, even if you want to be a defense attorney, go start in the prosecutor's office right. so you can learn what a case is worth. Now, you were, you know, with the judge for a while, but then went to the DA's office. In that time, how did you learn, quote unquote, what a case is worth? Well, you know, we had a real in interesting situation when I worked at the DA's office. Tim Curry was a district attorney, a okay. well-known district attorney yeah. throughout the legendary state. Yeah, and, and his, his office yeah. was legendary at mm -hmm. that time. And when, when I went to work for him, he said, uh, he said, you're a lawyer, okay? You make decisions. You do what you think is right. I will support any decision you make. And wow. uh, I trust you. You're a lawyer. Just don't do anything to embarrass me. Okay. <laughs> and I said, is that it? He said, that's it. Go be a lawyer. Wow. And, and, uh, and he meant it. If, if, if some, one of us, you know, messed up and did something, you know, and made an agreement that we shouldn't have made probably, he said, we're going to stand by the agreement. I'm going to stand by you. I get back to work. Wow. That's the kind of boss he was. And so, uh, so th that's how, you know, he let us set, values on cases and gotcha. you know so. had something to go by but yeah that's what he did i think i've heard professor albert <laughs> use that same example from his years um, I'm, I'm sure he was uh, told the same yeah. thing tim yeah, didn't vary almost word. read a word huh word for word almost really like said, yeah. yeah i mean i'm not surprised because richard was a number of years behind me and i'm not surprised that that's what yeah. way tim ran his office 
Yeah. So that's what I would, that was okay. my experience, very different than probably a lot of places. A lot of DAs micromanaged everything that their assistants did, but not him. Yeah. Well, we were, we were talking about that this week, Ryan, about office culture and, you know, the importance of, of a leader like that. I mean, how does, how does that translate to 2022? I mean, is that sort of carte blanche common or is that some like, again, aspirational? I, I don't know. I think obviously culturally we're in a very different time in 2022 uh, than even 10 years ago, let alone 20, 30, 40 years ago. I do think though that um, it is important in my opinion for prosecutors to have a degree of autonomy Mm -hmm. and the ability to exercise independent judgment about what a case is worth or what justice looks like on a case-by-case basis within broader guidelines that are set by the administration. And I think that's important. I, you know, Jeff talked about micromanagement. I think micromanagement, in my opinion, is, uh, can be detrimental to the development of young trial lawyers because you it makes it hard to learn to think for yourself and Mm -hmm. and exercise your own judgment. But, um, I don't, if I was advising an elected DA now with the media being what it is and social media being what it is, I think I would probably advise them to give a little bit more specific guidance than Mr. Curry did. Um, but in an otherwise perfect world, I think that's fantastic. There was no media attention like we have now 50 years ago. There was no social media. There was, you know, every once in a while something would get in the newspaper, but, you know, it wasn't like it is now. You know, it's a very different era. Yeah. And uh, it was was so, you know, so pleasant to practice in that area. I mean, the uh, defense lawyers and the uh, prosecutors, and the police officers and the prosecutor every day went to drink together and and were together every day. You never see that anymore. They don't interact with Mm. each other. We we all interacted, you know, but uh, Curry owned a part of a bar with Bill Magnuson, who was was a defense lawyer, and they both owned a bar together, and everybody went to the Albatross. Wow. And that's just how it was. And nobody, you could fight like, Dickens in court all day long, and you can go and laugh and have a beer with, with you know, the, the DA investigator and the DA and the police officer in the case, and you, everybody knew everybody. Yeah. We were part of the same fraternity, and that's all gone. So it was a very different time. Sure, sure. Yeah. A um, different time. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you kind of giving us some insight, and Ryan, you know, as well, on kind of what that looks like today. Um, having then spent that time, you know, with the judge and learning what a case is worth on the prosecution side. What skills do you feel like you took into your defense practice that, that ended up serving you well? Uh, I, I think probably learning how to talk to juries, you know, mm-hmm. from Vordire on, because I really watched some really good, good lawyers. And uh, Judge Matthews was a great mentor to me. And uh, would he would talk about, you know, okay, this is what, this what lawyer did well, this is what they didn't, and you know, and so I learned a lot. So uh, in those couple of years, but uh, you know, I just I liked it so much doing mm-hmm. it, yeah, that I tried to figure out every way to do it and do it better. 
Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, I stole a whole lot from a lot of good lawyers. I mean, you know, there's no, nobody has an original thought about any of this. <laughs> we, we all take it from other lawyers. But then when you do, the most important thing, if you see something you like with another lawyer, you've got to convert it into your personality. Right. You can't try to say things and do things the way other lawyers did it, but you can take that information and convert it into something that is, feels comfortable to you. Yeah. Don't try to be someone else. Be yourself with their ideas. Yeah. Okay. What does the Bible say, Ryan? There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> we all stole it from somebody. Everything... I have has been stolen from, from other people, and I'm still stealing. I'm I'm stealing some stuff I heard from from this gentleman here this week. <laughs> I mean, and it, so yeah, and, and you know, we learn more here, you know, in two or three days yeah. than the students do because we grasp it, you know, you know, because we know how important okay, it is. Okay, I see. I see. Yes. That's why you keep coming back. We're stealing more. from you, Chris. Oh, oh no! All right. Yeah. yeah. So no, no, it is, and so that's. Uh, that's just how it develops. Mm -hmm. You develop your own personality and your own way of doing things. And, and absorbing other, yeah. other ideas. Well, that's what makes the like trial exercises of the boot camp like, really fun is because you're hearing all these you know, great golden nuggets of you know, prosecutorial or defense wisdom. You're writing them down during like, the lectures, and then you get to try you know, during those exercises to make that your own. Yeah. Turn it in there in your own way with your own spin to make it effective. And it's hard, but it's it's really fun. It's it is something I think that really does a great job of aiding to your development as a young you know attorney. Yeah, I I borrowed <coughs> stole something from Ryan this week. I had a little sure. mock trial. Actually, we were doing here in this courtroom uh, for the undergrad kids. They're doing uh, Twelve Angry Men, uh, okay, and yeah. so they wanted a, to just kind of see what a little trial is like. And I was doing a circumstantial evidence murder case, which it, it's just, it's a poorly written case. It wasn't that, it wasn't great, but I did what I could. And uh, Ryan was saying, okay, get you a box of pencils. And you say, here's one piece of evidence by itself. Bam. It's not very strong. You put two of them together. You can still break it. Right. And then I, I stacked more and more. Uh, and I ended up losing horribly 11 to one, not guilty. It was, it was not even close. But you showed me your problem. You should have lost eleven to one. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were a lot of gaping holes in that in that packet. But um, three or four of the kids came up to me afterward and were like, "That pencil thing, man, was so cool." And I was yeah, like, right. "I learned it from a really, really great trial yeah, attorney." So. Yeah. That that was straight up stolen from Kelly Siegler. So there you go. There you go. There is nothing new under the sun. That's that great. Really is. Uh, so how did how did your defense practice get started? You were working. You weren't hanging your own shingle, so to no, say. No, no, I did. I just oh, you, okay. came over with him. He had one secretary and an extra office with a, a you know a desk and office furniture in it, and I just went over there with him, and uh, we started sharing expenses. Yeah, uh, and so uh, and, and I practiced with him for a number of years, and it was a, a wonderful experience, and. Uh, but uh, when, I, when I left the DA's office, most people leave and they start getting as many court appointments as they can and, you know, start uh, trying to get business as they can. I made a decision that I wanted to try to develop a, a uh, 
defiance mm-hmm. of kind of a, above a little bit above the pay grade of court appointed you know clients and sure. so I made a conscious decision to focus my practice on referrals from civil law firms okay and so I went and you know made developed relationships with all of the big civil law firms with the lawyers that were about my age. Okay. And then Judge Matthews helped me, introduce me to a lot of the ones his age. And so I started courting them for referrals from their clients, who, you know, who had money, or their clients, civil clients of the law firms that had children that are in trouble, or brothers or sisters or somebody (laughs) that was in trouble, and they all started referring them to me. And so that's what I decided to develop that type of practice rather than the, you know, the bail bonds, uh, you know, court appointed practice where the lawyers are making bail bonds and, you know, doing that. And so I, we just, I, that's what I made a decision to do and uh, try to uh, scrape up enough money to join a country club. And then I was going and start hustling business there. And, sure. Uh, you know, okay. and so. Uh, well, we heard, uh, uh Patrick Short, when he came on the podcast about a year ago, yeah. he was talking about, you know, what an eat what you kill sort of a, a scenario, you know, being a defense attorney is most of the time. So what I hear you saying is you really selected the hunting ground, so to speak, right? You really tried to foster. So it I wasn't did. just, you I mean, know, it was whatever. It a conscious decision. Across. Absolutely. Yeah. Was that, did that take a lot of your time that you otherwise would have been spending in trial? I mean, what, what did that balance of time look well like you know you. You, uh, you you wouldn't be spending any trial until you start getting some clients well, there you go. kind of a chicken in the egg yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, but I did do some court appointments but not for long I got out of that business quickly because I didn't want to be known as a court appointed lawyer there's nothing wrong with it I just wanted to, to focus on a different path sure and that's what I ended up doing and now my my I had a big turn in my career from state work to federal work, Mm -hmm. and it began when I got involved in in representing one of the Branch Davidians in the Branch Davidian trial in in San Antonio, and there was a lawyer in in Houston, Dick DeGarren. Everybody's probably heard of Dick, and Dick called and asked me if I would volunteer to represent one of the Branch Davidians. There were 11 of them that were... uh, 12 came out of the fire. One of them became a government witness, and 11 of them were indicted and they were had no money and they sure. were going to be appointed court appointed lawyers by judge walter smith the federal judge here and he was he would just appoint a, a title lawyer mm. and then a you know a wills and trust lawyer Not and a divorce lawyer defense attorney and just the next you know lawyers in town and so they nobody got to pick and dick said these people need real lawyers and will you come and do it Wow. And I said, yeah. And so what we had to do, though, you have to do it for free. I mean, I left my office for two months, moved to San Antonio, played, paid my own expenses, and I was like a sole practitioner. Oh, my gosh. You know, and, and we all paid our own expenses uh, and uh, went to San Antonio and all volunteered and tried that case down there. Wow. And it was, it was the greatest experience I've ever had with great lawyers. I mean, great lawyers who were volunteering their time. We were all invested in it so much. And, and uh, you know, when you have 11 lawyers that are, you know, doing this and really good lawyers from all over the state, you know, we came from everywhere. Yeah. And uh, to represent those people. And that, that was my real, I've had, a, had other 
federal cases before that, but that that was a turning point. Once I did that, my federal business took off, and the federal business is you know, at a different level than, sure. than most of the state business. You know? Wow. So really an investment is kind of what you're saying, Absolutely. right? Like just your own expenses, your own time. You're not doing anything else, but you can see that it's kind of your audition right away, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, this right. is your way to prove yourself. Huh? Yeah. Um, how did you handle defending defendants in such a like media high profile? Yeah, high profile. Yeah, the thank you. Like a high profile case like that, where everybody or most people had probably heard of what was going on out there. Oh yeah, I mean we. I can tell you, we walked out of the courthouse in San Antonio every day to somewhere around 200 international media cameras oh my gosh. and reporters. They were circled around. We've got that thing, and, and three or four deep on the steps when we came out. And, uh, and then we, uh, we all had a, a local uh, watering hole that we went to afterwards, and they would all come over there and have a beer with us. And, wow. And, uh, but it was, it was, uh, and we had, uh, you know, we had a gag order by Judge Smith and uh, th there was a lawyer who is no longer with us, but Doug Tinker, a great lawyer from Corpus Christi, who was mm -hmm. one of the lawyers in the case. Mm -hmm. And uh, he would talk to the media a little bit and he was on the front porch and all the media of the courthouse and all the media around him and he was given an interview. At one day after court, and out of the corner of his eye, he saw Judge Smith coming out that front door <laughs> like this. You know, he just caught the idea. And as Judge Smith started walking up, he looked at the reporter and says, "As I was telling you, Judge Walter Smith is the greatest." <laughs> and I just want to tell you that, that he is the most knowledgeable on the law and the most fair judge I've ever. Oh, hi, Judge Smith. How are you doing? And, and, Judge Smith looked at him, shook his head, and just laughed and walked off. <laughs> if you're going to get caught with your hand in the cookie yeah, jar, yeah, that's yeah. the way well, to play it off. He really, he really came out of it well, you know. So Wow. So that was 30 years ago now? The yeah, that was uh, somewhere in 94, 90, okay, yeah, something up. like that. Yeah, so, so have you tried? Have you tried mostly federal cases since then? I, I, no, I tr well, I try state cases, okay. you know, that are, that are, you know, I represent doctors and lawyers and everything else. But I do, uh, I do try a lot more, spend a lot more time on federal cases, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so uh, they're, you know, they're all different types and kinds. But I went to New Orleans. One of the most interesting that I tried was, I represented one of the New Orleans police officers in the obstruction of justice prosecutions for uh, murdering looters after Katrina. It was oh, all the post-Katrina wow. federal prosecutions. The New Orleans district attorney didn't indict anybody for it, and the feds came in and brought their, you know, their uh, uh, public, you know, integrity unit down, and they actually investigated and indicted. Uh, seven police officers wow. and in the uh, one of the New Orleans shootings of, of looters and I was asked to come down and try a case down there and found a great lawyer down there named Frank DeSalvo and I became friends at a federal trial in in the 80s and uh, up in uh, Kentucky we just happened to meet each other there representing co-defendants but anyway mm -hmm. came down and, and uh, we tried that case and my client after 
was acquitted and it was a really a racially charged situation in New Orleans. We, we would walk into the courthouse every day because there were a ring of protesters all around the courthouse because all of these police officers were white. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we had to walk through the protesters and then the next ring was, was uh, federal agents and FBI agents with riot dogs for the next wing, a ring we had to go through protecting the courthouse. And then we would get into the courthouse. And that's what had it. We went in and out every day during that trial. Wow. So uh, it was an exciting trial. Yeah. I mean, protecting, I mean, excuse me, defending police officers and civil rights actions, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of high-profile cases like that in the last several years. Right. Have you seen a, a change or a shift at all in, in how you try those cases as more of these? I don't know, think there's happen. any difference in the way you try the case. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a big difference in the jury. Okay. And again, we come back to Vore Dyer. Yeah, we come back to Vore Dyer. Mm -hmm. And in federal court, there's not a whole lot of Vore Dyer. Right. You know, um, right. You know, because the judge in many federal trials, the judge does all the board mm -hmm. and uh, but uh, we uh, some judges give you a lot. There's a judge in the Eastern District up in Sherman, Judge Bazant, who gives you full, wide open state court board iron. In the federal oh wow! Case. Okay. We went to we went to uh, uh, Kentucky and tried that drug conspiracy case up there. Judge gave us full, wide open state board hour up there in Kentucky. Okay, you know, but they're different every everywhere. Uh, so uh, I'm going to try a case in, in about uh, ten days. We're going to start a six to eight week federal trial, six defendants, and the judge is going to do all the board hour. Okay, yeah. I, I represented the Boeing uh, uh, tech pilot who got indicted out of the Boeing crashes uh, mm -hmm. very recently. They. Mm -hmm. they uh, Main Justice, the uh, uh, civil uh, section of the uh, criminal division, right. I mean the uh, fraud section of the criminal division, brought an indictment in Fort Worth against one Boeing employee for the all the crashes of those 737 Maxes, the new airplane. Two of them crashed, and they grounded all of them for 20 months, and Boeing got a walk, and and our defense was he was a scapegoat. Yeah, all came down on one guy. All wow. came, came down on one guy. And so uh, David Gerger and I, out of uh, David's out of uh, Houston, we represented uh, that individual and won an acquittal this March in federal court Wow, uh, for him. And uh, the judge let us have 15 minutes of hors d'oeuvre aside. He let me run a little over, I think, but not much. You yeah, know, he, yeah. He, uh, but... Uh, you know, because the jurors were doing all the talking, and you can get a lot done. You know, when the jurors are doing all the talking, and so yeah. you know, and it was it was, uh, and Hirshhorn helped us, and we had some scaled questions. And we'll, I don't know if you know anything about scaled questions, yeah. but in in a federal case, when you got fifteen minutes, you can ask three scaled questions that are, you know, the jury just gives you a number. You yeah, on a scale of one, one, two, one, ten, yeah, yeah, one ten, give me a number. And all we want is a number. There's not going to be any discussion. And we just go down and get the, and they give you a lot of information yeah. and three scale questions. So it was very interesting. Wow. Because that was going to be my question. I mean, if you've got 15 minutes, how do you maximize you got, that? You've got to be really, really smart about it. You know, you've 
got to have a, two or three introductory questions, and then you jump, jump into these scale questions, because you can get a lot of information off scale questions. And so, you know, that's what we did. And so it, wow. was, it was a wonderful experience. We had, you know, great lawyers behind the scene. We had five law, law firms working on the discovery. And, you know, and yeah. so... A lot of resources. Yeah, a lot there. of resources. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one more question about the board dire because it's kind of it's top of mind for me right now. So has the it's judge? It's always on top. Yeah. Of my okay. Mind, good. <laughs> I'm glad I'm on the right track yeah. with that. Um, has the judge already asked the panel some questions, yes, or is it we're some, talking thirty minutes? Some questions, but okay. you know, some judges ask. You know, we had a wonderful judge in the Boeing case. I mean, mm-hmm. couldn't have been better. But some judges, they do ask questions, but they get zero information oh, okay. that you really need. Mm-hmm. And so that you just have to have some. And so there's there's all kinds of degrees of judges, letting, like uh, uh, Judge Lynn in, in Dallas. Uh, she's the chief judge over there. She was a trial lawyer forever before she came became a federal judge. She understands the importance of Vordire. She lets lawyers have, you know, more time, 30 minutes or what you need to follow up with them and doesn't interfere. And sure. she understands trial lawyers being trial lawyers. Yeah. You know, that's what you want. Yeah. Okay. That's really, that's really cool. Uh, we also heard, we, we've, excuse me, I've taken uh, a professional responsibility from Judge Ed Kincaid here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's, I can't say enough good about the man. I, I love Neither can I or any lawyer in the Northern <laughs> District of Texas. Yeah. You know, he's, uh, I, I wouldn't want to get on his bad side, no. but he's he's a lovely, delightful person. And the way that he tells it is, you know, federal judges can kind of comment on the evidence. Maybe not even kind of. They, they, well, they frequently comment, yeah, on, comment on How does that affect your practice? They don't do it judge? much. Okay. They don't do it much. Okay. Every once in a while they do. But, I mean... You know, you can have one in ten cases when they do. But, okay. You know, they can do it. You know, and they uh, there was a judge in in Fort Worth who made him a habit of doing it. So, but he's not. He's finally, you know, retired and sure not taking cases anymore. But uh, you know, but they, you know, there are some that will. But generally, you don't see that nowadays very much. Okay, I'm just curious. They, they sure can do it. Yeah, yeah. As a defense attorney, does that raise any alarms for you of any constitutional issues? I mean, if a federal judge is doing it, that's kind of, you know, no, they're, they're, just, allowed to do it. they're just allowed to do it. But. Yeah, I mean, they can't go overboard with it, but they yeah. certainly can comment on the evidence. Or commenting. Okay. But they don't do it much. Sure. It's rare. Okay. And that's that's good to know, too. Yeah, it's rare. Um, okay. Well, you know, we've talked about a lot of really cool cases, a lot of high-profile cases. I mean, what what does it take to become a Hall of Fame criminal defense attorney? I mean, what what do you do day in and day out that puts you at that level of performance, do you think? Um, you know, learning constantly. Continue to learn. Learn everything you can. And coming and teaching young lawyers and law students really helps more than anything because you learn so much from the other lawyers teaching and you learn a lot, you know, the, you know, law students and young lawyers come up with some great ideas that, you know, you never thought of. And so, no, it's, it's great, but constantly learn and then, and, and, you know, sharpen your skills, hone your skills, you know, constantly and, you know, keep doing it. You know, you just, you have to do it and do it and do it and keep doing it. And you, 
you start doing it at a high level, you'll stay there. Yeah. You know, so you try to try to do it at the highest level you could possibly do it at. And, yeah. And it's 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 the it's the greatest profession there is. You know, I just I love every day. Of it. I can't imagine doing anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing I would rather do. And uh, you know, if you retire, you get old. <laughs> and, you, and, sure. if, and, yeah. and if you stop doing this, you're not relevant anymore. And mm. the last thing I want to be is not relevant. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I mean, to be to be performing at the level you have for as long as you have, I mean, that learning every day and and, and everything. That's that's what you're saying. That's how Absolutely. you stay relevant, right? You keep that that knife edge sharp, and you keep going back in there. And get some real smart young lawyers to keep you young. <laughs> you <know? laughs> that's that's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it is a lot of fun watching them and learning from them, you know. And yeah. Some of their good ones. That's really cool. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been an absolute treat. Before we let you go, I just would like to ask you, you know, you gave us some really good advice toward the beginning of the interview. Um, for our folks who want to be prosecutors, um, you know, obviously you've, you've gone up against a lot of prosecutors in your day. Um, any maybe one or two nuggets of advice that you would just toss to the folks who, who know they want to be prosecutors? Yeah. Always remember there'll be another case okay. another day, yeah. you know, be a straight shooter. You know, don't hide anything. Mm-hmm. Your word is your bond because, you know, most prosecutors will eventually leave the office and go to the defense side. But if even if you're going to be a career prosecutor, you know, be like Richard Albert, be like Ryan Calvert, be, be someone that your word is your bond, that you're trustworthy and you don't play tricks, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you're a straight shooter. That, you're going to win more cases that way anyway. Yeah. Because those are the kind of people that jurors, is, you know, can identify with, sure. and 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 your life will be much more pleasant. Because I would rather try a case against a great trial lawyer, prosecutor that's a great trial lawyer. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. That's a straight shooter. You know. Yeah. I, you know, they may be a real good and better than me, but I'd rather try a case. It makes it easier on everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I would say. You know, model yourself out of after Ryan Calvert and Richard, yeah. you know, and so Richard Alpert in there, you know, they've got wonderful, had wonderful reputations and Ryan still does and Richard still does. And, yeah. you know, yeah, that's your, your word is your legacy. Yeah. We're so blessed to be surrounded by these folks. And oh, have them, you know, kids. it's, it's it, like, you don't, I don't think you really appreciate it at first. You're like, oh, you know, Professor Alpert said he could schedule a Zoom call with me, you know, like, yeah. whatever, we're hanging out. And then you come to find out the man has written the last word on DWI prosecution sure. in the state yeah. and that his name is gold everywhere you go. Everywhere. So, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I'm going to ask you the same question, but for our folks who know they want to be defense attorneys, obviously yeah, right. <laughs> you you know what it takes to be an incredible defense attorney, but I mean, any you know guiding light or anything to, to point those folks toward? Exactly the same advice. Hmm. Your word is your bond. You know, don't play tricks. Every time you try to be cute and, you know, tricky, mm-hmm. you know, it backfires. Hmm. Be yourself. Okay. You know, be honest, be straightforward, be yourself. Well, thank and, you. Uh, yeah. You know, make as many friends as you can. 
Yeah. I had an article written about me recently after the Boeing case, and it was it was titled, uh, you know, Jeff Kearney winning cases and making friends. Oh my gosh. Wasn't that a great title? What, could, like, now, uh, what else could you ask for? So that's what everybody needs to strive for. Yeah. Win yeah. cases and make friends. Win cases and make friends. Yeah. Maybe that's the next t-shirt. Win cases and make friends. Winning cases. We love that. If you, if you want to see it, they just put the article up on our website in my bio. So okay. You can read that's great. It. Yeah. yeah. We can link it in the, in the show notes here. Yeah. Well, Steve and Ryan had to both step out. Um, we will let you go. But okay. uh, Conagher, any last questions for Mr. Kearney here? No questions. I just wanted to comment that just watching you talk about these things, it's like I, you can just see the passion and oh, yeah. the love for love for the game, so to speak. It's like watching yeah. Michael it's Jordan talk about basketball. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's the greatest game ever invented. Yeah. It really is. There's nothing that compares to it. Yeah. And I just – I just love it every day, and I I love Baylor Law School, mm -hmm. and I'm so grateful for the education I got here, mm -hmm. and I am so happy that they are expanding their criminal law curriculum here, and, and it really needs to be because we don't have a lot of Baylor lawyers that are criminal lawyers. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got a great, great civil lawyers, but yeah. not a lot of criminal lawyers, and other schools do. I yeah. mean, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that you know, Texas Tech is one that's got a, sure, a lot yeah. of really good law, criminal lawyers out of there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, bringing Richard Alpert on was one of, at least from where I'm sitting, one of the best things Dean Tobin ever did because he has just absolutely spearheaded this. And obviously, Beth Tobin is, is legendary. I can tell you what it was. It was genius to bring him on that, here. Absolute genius. Yeah. And I think Beth made. Dean Tobin understand. <laughs> I, I think what did she what did she say? Yeah. Goes, she said, "Don't you let him go anywhere else. We need him." Yeah. You're all. I think she said, "You're always saying the best belong at Baylor. Yep. He's the best. He belongs here." No, it was genius. It's, it's it just, was genius to bring Richard here. Yeah, because he teaches this Texas Criminal Practice Procedure class, and he gets folks like Jack Choate and Ryan Calvert and yeah. all these incredible attorneys who are still practicing here in the building. And then we bring y'all here, he you know. He just needs to bring more defense lawyers. There you go. There you go. Well, we've got <laughs> some good, you know. He needs to bring some defense lawyers into the Bordier boot camp, yeah. too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I just, I love being here. Yeah. Well, thanks again. We Thank really appreciate it. Me. Yeah. This has been an absolute treat. I mean, we've, we've really loved it. So we're going to leave it there for this week. Listeners, thanks again for joining us on another episode of the Baylor Law Criminal Law Society podcast. Until next time, y'all take care.